Listen to challenging topics and insightful conversations. We don't just report the news. We provide the real story behind the headlines by talking to global decision makers and influential figures. This is The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, the future of Hong Kong. We speak exclusively to the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Christopher Hui. For decades now, Hong Kong has served as mainland's gateway to the world, especially in the financial sector. So as China continues opening up post-pandemic and looks to expand its businesses beyond its borders, what does the future really hold? Joining me now is Hong Kong's Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Christopher Hui. Absolute pleasure to have you on the agenda, sir. Now, it's been a very busy 2023 for you so far. Um, what deals have you done? It is indeed a very exciting 2023 because, first of all, we are entering into a new era in the post-COVID stage where we open up to the rest of the world and also to our own mainland. And at the same time, we are dealing with also uncertainties arising from geopolitics and global macroeconomic developments. But that said, I would say Hong Kong has fared rather well and also fared rather resiliently throughout this period. And personally, I've been going all out to different countries. And so far over the past year, I've been visiting Europe, Asia, try to share with the rest of the world the success of Hong Kong as an international financial center, and also how we come about in terms of further developing our role as a connector between mainland and the rest of the world. And at the same time, we have been pushing for new developments in financial markets, in particular on the front of renminbi internationalization with the renminbi Hong Kong dollar counters available now, Hong Kong people and global investors, basically they can use renminbi to trade our equities. And at the same time, we are pushing for new products, including bond futures to be listed here. And right. furthermore, we continue to draw capital from the rest of the world, including our latest policy to attract family offices globally to Hong Kong with the introduction of a tax concession, waiving all the profit tax chargeable on the profits obtained by single family offices. I think all these are paving the way for very exciting development here in Hong Kong and continue to be so as the country's international financial centre. You, you have got a very long shopping list there and you've been on many trips and you've spoken to, to different sectors, different industries. I wonder which geographies, which industries do you see driving growth um, in Hong Kong and offering the best investment opportunities? And it's similar to the rest of the world. You, I can see that basically Hong Kong similar to other international financial centers, are driven by a number of key global trends in terms of new development. I think number one global trend is about Asia, because as you can see, as the whole world going into the post-COVID era, economic growth is picking up, and definitely growth in Asia will constitute a very significant part of the global growth. And in that regard, the growth of our own country will play also a very important part. So in that case, Hong Kong being our country's natural financial center, Asia is a key theme as we go about trying to promote Hong Kong and also promote our own country. And going forward, I would say growth in this part of the world is going to be a significant part of the global economic growth engine. 
I think number one in terms of new trends driving Hong Kong's growth will be growth in Asia, in particular growth in our own country. And secondly, in terms of the global forces for growth will be arising from technology. Because after all, if you talk about uh, new startups, um, new unicorns, or globally in terms of investment opportunities, people are all looking for technological themes. And in that regard, just in March this year, we revamped our main board by introducing a new chapter to our main board with companies, especially those what we call the specialist tech companies, even if they are not having revenue or profit, if they meet certain market cap criteria, we allow them to list on our main board. We are also trying to foster development in the fintech space. And this is the area where Hong Kong has been very good at with over 800 fintech companies now operating in Hong Kong and we'll continue to attract more of them here. The fintech technology, these are all things I want to talk to you about it in more detail. Essentially, you're saying you're, you're open to business. You say it's very much similar to what other countries around the world are doing. So I want to know what makes Hong Kong stand out as a financial hub? What are you doing differently? I think the key differentiator of Hong Kong is one country, two systems. Because after all, we operate within the same country, but at the same time, we offer two systems with a rule of law, with a business environment that international investors are very keen to. I think all these point to the fact that Hong Kong is a super connector between our own country and the rest of the world. And take, for example, financial markets or our crypto markets. Just uh, over the past few months and this year, we have seen a lot of new developments. First of all, on the 1st of July last year, we had set up an ETF connect between the ETF market here in Hong Kong and the mainland, further to the Stock Connect and also Bond Connect that we already had. And based on the ETF Connect daily turnover, you can see that just within a year, the turnover northbound, i.e. international investors using Hong Kong as a platform to buy or purchase or invest in ETFs traded in the mainland, basically has grown by more than 10 times. And for southbound, i.e. mainland investors using Hong Kong as a platform to trade or invest in the ETFs, basically the turnover has grown by eight times. So in that regard, you can see that our role as a super connector between the capital markets of China and the rest of the world has strengthened. And that's a, definitely a unique differentiator. And going forward, we are going to differentiate furthermore with more products being available. I think first of all, as I introduced just now, we just in June this year, we set up renminbi counters for our stocks, i.e. investors globally in Hong Kong, they can use renminbi to buy our equities. And the next stage in terms of work, we are going to connect these renminbi counters with the mainland liquidity pool, i.e. we are going to pull these renminbi counters in southbound Stock Connect. And mainland investors with their renminbi in hands can use their renminbi direct to trade our stocks without the need to convert their RMB into Hong Kong dollar. Because after all, the biggest source of RMB is onshore in our own country. So by connecting this liquidity pool with our RMB counters, this will be a significant development in terms of facilitating RMB internationalization. And furthermore, we are going to provide more products within our RMB ecosystem. Because as the rest of the world is increasingly interested in using RMB and also investing in RMB, here in Hong Kong, as the country's largest offshore RMB hub, we want to offer them with more products. And that's why we will soon launch the bond futures offshore in Hong Kong in such a way that for international investors, 
who are investing in the mainland bond market through our Bond Connect in Hong Kong can have an additional hedging and also risk management tool available to them in the form of bond futures. And this is something that will be happening soon with our collaboration and support from the central authorities. So all in all, I would say that the next key differentiator of us is basically under one country, two systems, how we facilitate and also further flow between the rest of the world and China in the renminbi. And another key differentiator of Hong Kong will be on the sustainability side, because after all, green sustainability is the global trend. But if you look at Asia per se, Hong Kong is obviously the leader in terms of sustainable finance. Let's look beyond financial markets. I mean, do you, how do you see Hong Kong's role developing as an intermediary between China and the rest of the world beyond money markets? I think what you can see in Hong Kong is a very diverse culture. Like, for example, we have people from all around the world come to visit here. At the same time, many of them choose to stay here. And the reason that they choose Hong Kong is because of the international and diverse nature of this city. Like, for example, in terms of the culture scene, just very recently, in the two, one year or two, we opened up two world-class museums. One is the Palace Museum, with the support of our own country, showcasing many of our national treasures. And the other is M+, which is a contemporary art museum. And just within this year, for example, our Palace Museum has received more than 1.3 million visitors. And all these people are drawn to Hong Kong because we showcase our national treasures in an international way, in such a way that they can use the way that they are familiar with to appreciate our own country's culture. So in that regard, you can say that the reason that people come to Hong Kong is because they feel very comfortable in the international environment, while at the same time, they can get China access. So another angle to look at this is the diverse geographical nature of Hong Kong. Because even though we are international financial center, we are a commercial center, we are a very busy place, yet at the same time, a huge part of our land is our countryside. So on the one hand, you can be working in a very busy CBD, just a few minutes later, we can be hiking up the peak in the countryside. I think all these advantages combined with the cosmopolitan nature of Hong Kong, yet combined with the nature of Hong Kong, is very unique. And basically, there's nowhere to be found but Hong Kong. We'll pause there for a moment, but stay with us. And still to come here on the agenda, we'll have more with Christopher Hui, including a question of crypto, why virtual assets are key to Hong Kong's financial future. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the agenda. And let's talk more now with Christopher Hui, Hong Kong Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury. Now, Christopher, 
You've said that you want Hong Kong to become an international centre for green and sustainable finance. So how are you doing that? Basically, we have been trying to push for this development across various fronts. First of all, it's through leadership in the government. Like, for example, so far, we have issued more than 22 billion US dollars equivalent of green bonds and in multiple currencies, apart from US dollar, also in the RMB and Euro. And we also tokenize our green bonds with having the first ever tokenized green bond globally, try to combine green and tech. So it's something that we're very keen to do in terms of taking the lead as the government, try to facilitate the green capital market here in Hong Kong. Secondly, in terms of new development, in terms of what we do here is with the government take the lead, we need the market to respond. And that's why we have a subsidy program, basically encouraging and incentivizing corporates and also institutions to use Hong Kong as a platform to issue green bonds here. So how does this all tie in with your proposals to simplify that process for non-local companies to change their place of domicile to, to, to Hong Kong? I mean, I mean, what's the, the thinking behind that? Um, how, what are the benefits? How does it all tie in? I think this uh, redomicilation regime, as you highlighted, Julia, is basically a testimony to our strength under one country, two systems. Because the reason that companies want to operate in Hong Kong is because, first of all, they have a very, a very international environment underpinned by rule of law and very friendly business environment. That's number one. And number two, definitely, is the China access. They can, through Hong Kong, access the Bay Area and the broader Chinese market within the same country. And that's why we need to reinforce that. And the reason that we have this domicilization regime is exactly to that direction, i.e. for companies who are already domiciled somewhere else, there's a very strong pool factor for them to move their companies and redomicile them to Hong Kong in such a way that they can benefit in full from the benefits that just offered under one country, two systems. That's number one. And number two, I would say, is more on the push factor in terms of why companies would choose to leave their originally domiciled jurisdictions. Because it's a global trend with trade and also increasing regulatory burden on many of these offshore jurisdictions. In fact, many of these companies who originally choose to domicile their companies in these offshore jurisdictions, they see lesser and lesser incentive to do so. So basically, they need to move their companies to places where they can have economic substance, where they can operate their business. And that's exactly where Hong Kong is. Well, on the one hand, they can domicile their companies here, yet at the same time benefit business-wise from opportunities here being available. And thirdly, I would say, apart from the pool factors, as I mentioned, and also the push factors I just mentioned, is the wealth of professional services being made available in Hong Kong. Because here in Hong Kong, within an hour, you can see your lawyers, accountants, surveyors, uh, whoever, professionals, you can see them face to face. It's very unique globally, where you can have all the professionals gathered in one place within minutes, because we have such a wealth of expertise and professional services available here. So by redomiciling your companies here and also setting up your companies here, this reach of professional services will be at your doorstep to service you now and going forward. Christopher, crypto is a, a policy direction that, that you have been developing. How is Hong Kong making its comeback as a crypto hub? I think we should see this in a broader light, not just for crypto, but virtual asset more broadly. Because after all, you talk about virtual asset. People look at this not just as a technology, 
they look at this because of the technological benefits that we will bring to the real economy. Like, for example, through blockchain, you're going to disintermediate many of the intermediaries. At the same time, reducing a lot of transaction cost and friction in many of these financial transactions. Like, for example, I just mentioned earlier, we tokenize our green bonds, the government green bonds, which is the first ever government green bonds being tokenized globally. And we tokenize a one-year green bond. And the experience that we had is that the settlement period for that green bond actually can reduce from the originally five days to one day, attributed to technology, i.e. blockchain being available. So we can actually see through technology and also look at the actual benefits that these technology will bring to economic efficiency and also inducing economic system friction in terms of facilitating transactions. That's number one. And number two, in terms of the regulation that we have in place, basically what we do here is reflecting a emerging global consensus, i.e. virtual assets is going to stay, yet at the same time we should regulate well because there are risks. That's why we will look at the risk per se to see the nature of the risk. If the risk is similar in terms of nature to what you see in the conventional mainstream finance, we should subject them to a similar regulation. So the overall principle is similar business, similar risk, we subject them to similar regulation. That's exactly against this backdrop that we have a new regime basically in place since June this year to regulate the virtual asset exchanges. And we built into our regime regulations to protect investors. Like for example, the investors' asset have to be segregated, separate from those of the exchanges. At the same time, there have been arrangements in place to avoid conflict of interest i.e. the exchange operator cannot be involved in trading on their own exchange, which they operate, in order to reduce the conflict of interest. I think all of these point to the fact that we have a holistic regulatory regime taking into account of financial stability and also investor protection, yet at the same time reflecting a global consensus, which is to regulate this sector holistically. Yeah. So with these, I would say that we are on a sort of putting to ensure that this sector is well regulated, and also be able to grow in a sustainable manner. You talk about regulation, you say you've got this holistic approach. Um, whereas places like Singapore and other jurisdictions, they're, they're tightening um, regulations. Yours is, I suppose, more of a, a macro approach to it. So what's new, um, I suppose, is that retail investors are going to come under that regulatory framework. So why are you doing that? How's it going to work? Um, as I said earlier, virtual assets is going to stay. And also, while we acknowledge the risk involved, as you said, because of the uh, anonymous nature of these transactions, there could be risk in terms of money laundering, risk in terms of um, having um, terrorist financing. So we need to regulate the sector well. So there's against this backdrop that we have a holistic regulatory regime in place, as I said earlier, taking into account not just on the payment side, not just on the anti-money laundering side, but also on the financial stability and also investor protection. Because if you look at the lessons that we learned from previous failed cases, it's not because of virtual asset per se, but rather because of the underlying problems these exchanges encounter in terms of fraud, in terms of various types of irregularities. And this is exactly what we want to deal with in terms of having a regime in place, try to address this issue, and at the same time regulate this sector in a holistic manner. That's number one. And number two, I would say, even though retail are being allowed, we have put in several safeguards and also guardrails in order to ensure that the retail investors are being protected. 
like for example, for the products they are able to trade, they have to meet certain criteria. Yet at the same time, for the investors per se, they also have to meet certain criteria because they are allowed to do so. All these safeguards or guardrails are meant to ensure that investor protection are there when they're involved in the trading of such virtual asset products. That's number two. And number three, I would say, what you point to is the importance of investor education. Because after all, this is an emerging new market, and many of these involve new intricacies. So we need, we need to let the market know, in particular investors know, what are they going into in order for them to make the right choice for themselves, taking into account the different investment or risk appetite that they have. And that's exactly what we have been doing, will continue to do in terms of strengthening investor protection in such a way that our investors will know what they're going into when they evolve in these activities. Now, one of the pilot schemes that you've rolled out, you've already talked about, tokenizing green bonds. Um, another one is the um, EHKD, um, the central bank's digital currency. I, I wonder how you see crypto digital currencies fitting into mainstream finance. As I discussed earlier, I think you can see that even though these type of uh, new activity or new finance areas, originally they starting outside of mainstream finance, the risks that they pose are very similar. And that's why now we are subject them to similar regulation in the mainstream finance, because after all, the risks are very much alike. That's number one. Specifically, for example, as I said earlier, in terms of regulation of our virtual asset exchanges, we require them to have sufficient financial resources before they can operate the exchanges. At the same time, the investors themselves, they have to meet certain criteria before they can trade these products being listed. And also at the same time, the client's asset have to be segregated from those of the exchanges. And all these safeguards and guardrails are meant to protect our investors and to ensure that the exchanges can provide, will not undermine the financial stability that this market provides. That's number two. And thirdly, I would say, in terms of how this whole market is going to develop, I would say that we are going to ensure that there is sufficient holistic regulation in place in such a way that this market can grow in a sustainable manner. And that's why next year, we will also put in the regulation for stable coins, where we have the fiat currency as underlying. Because as you can see that in terms of trend going forward, a lot of the real world assets are being tokenized, like what we did with our tokenized green bonds. And going forward, there could be fiat money, for example, having a technological or tokenized form like um, stable coins. So in such a way that we need to regulate them to ensure that this is, they are well regulated. And this is something that we're going to do next year. And going forward, I would say, in terms of how we are going to grow or also to ensure the sustainable market development, uh, we need the market, in, fact, in particular investors, to be in the know in terms of what they're going into. And that's why investor education is so important. And point to another question that you have is regarding the central bank digital currency. While on one hand, they are also one type of virtual assets in the sense that um, they are a type of technological and also a uh, electronic payment. Yet at the same time, I can see it developing several dimensions. First of all, it's locally in Hong Kong. Uh, we are developing our electronic or e-Hong Kong dollar, and now we are having pilot cases locally. And another dimension is more regional in terms of how we interact with our own country. And that's why we have been conducting various type of pilot cases with our own country central bank, i.e. having cross-boundary uh, usage or also use cases of yi renminbi. And finally, apart from the 
local level and also regionally with our own country will be more at a more global level or regional level in terms of the central bank digital currency. And that's why we have a project, what we call Enbridge, basically is working together with central banks, not just in Hong Kong, in the mainland, but also central banks in Thailand and also Saudi Arabia in such a way that we can have CBDC, so to speak, being used as the settlement currency for cross-boundary or cross-border trade settlement across these jurisdictions. So it is, again, a form of digital currency, yet at the same time, it is now meant for institutional level to settle trade among these jurisdictions. So broadly speaking, we have a local version, we have a version of our own country, and also have a regional version, basically to facilitate development in this area. Christopher Hui, thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up on a future agenda. Up, up and away. Has the trillion dollar tourism industry finally recovered from global lockdown? But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the agenda team here in London, goodbye. <laughs>